am so honoured to have Beth Lee Solicitor from Ayers Waters Family Lawyers and they're based in Stockport. She predominantly works in Manchester, though, as a family law solicitor specialising in private children law and domestic abuse. She has been a solicitor for over 10 years. Ayers Waters is a small local firm that offers legal aid and covers all areas of family law, including disputes over children, care proceedings and injuncture orders. The first thing I want to ask you is, how do you think attitudes towards domestic abuse have changed over the years? Well, gosh, they've changed considerably. Um, and we're really looking forward to, in 2021, the domestic abuse bill. Um, but if we go back in history, um, domestic abuse was not taken seriously at all. Um, in 1970, um attitude started to change and in 1920 there was in fact a law passed to say that wife beating was illegal but nobody took it seriously um, and we've got a Stockport dungeon actually here in Stockport that you can visit when these Covid restrictions are up and one of the devices that they have in there um, is like a metal mouthpiece with a spike that goes in a woman's mouth to stop them talking in a way of controlling them um, so you've got really draconian, awful devices like that um, being used hundreds of years ago, moving up to now where obviously women do have, um, should have the same status as men. And we are definitely moving towards that um, equality. Um, but really, it's all about the 90s. It was in 1992 that rape within a marriage became an offence. Before that, it, you, you couldn't be prosecuted for it. And in 1996, we had the Family Law Act, which gives rise to the domestic abuse orders that I'd like to talk about today. So can you explain the differences about the court systems in England and Wales? So the major differences um, for, for victims or service users is if you're the victim of domestic abuse and you go into the criminal court, you are a witness um, within that situation. So you don't get to pick your lawyer. You are allocated somebody by the Crown Prosecution Service and you don't have much control over the situation. Whereas if you go through the family court and apply for a civil injunction, you are the applicant. You get to choose who acts for you. And people say they feel like they have a little bit more control um, over the situation. Also, like I said, a restraining order is usually after a criminal conviction and a criminal conviction is, is the standard of proof is 99%. So an assault has to be proved at 99% and then you get your restraining order on the back of that. Whereas with family court, we only need to prove an incident at 51% and you're at risk of harm to get those orders in place. So it's a much lower standard of proof. Also, again, from a victim's perspective, Going to family courts is meant to be non-confrontational. You're there to seek a protection order or to sort out a dispute with your children. So it's meant to be non-confrontational um, and people find it slightly easier than attending criminal court, which is, of course, very confrontational. And people talk about being re-traumatised um, on the stand, etc. So most of my clients, when I speak to them about which court system they would prefer, they would much prefer to go to family court than criminal. And that's why we might have an assault that's reported to the police. Then the client will say, I don't want to um, go ahead with the police. I don't want to go to criminal court. I find it too terrifying. So the police say, well, we can't take any further action then. But then that same person will come to somebody like me or a family lawyer and say, 
I still, I'm still terrified. I can't support a prosecution, but I'm still terrified. I need something in place to protect myself. And then legitimately, they can get one of these domestic abuse protection orders instead. Just listening to that, I, my, my heart was just like here, you know, in close to my mouth, just thinking about the process that you have to go through. But it is absolutely necessary. Can you stress how important that is? One, obviously, that first stand is the hardest and the statistics show, you know, it takes about 30 incidents before somebody will step forward. And the other statistics on domestic abuse from last year are that there are 2.4 million victims of domestic abuse in England and Wales, two thirds of which at least two thirds are females um, between the age of, of 16 and 74. It is a huge issue. And one of the issues for victims is that the physical abuse is one thing, but the mental and psychological abuse, as in you won't be believed, nobody else will want you, it's your word against mine, that's the major issue that stops people coming forward. And I just want to say you will be believed. There are amazing agencies out there now. Um, you know, the family solicitors, like I am extremely passionate about this, please step forward, you know, we're here to listen, we're here to believe you, and, you know, you can escape from these awful situations. And the orders, so you, you mentioned the orders, there are... So with the civil system, the domestic abuse orders, I would I would say there are three main orders at present. Um, so the, the order that we deal with the most is your non-molestation order. So this is basically an order that forbids a respondent from doing something and they generally last six months to one year, but you can get them extended um, if the situation merits that. The parties have got to be associated. So we are talking about, you know, somebody that's been in a relationship with someone. You can get these orders against your mum, your dad, your brother, sister, but you can't get these orders if it's a stranger, stalker, or let's say a one-night stand. Um, you have got to establish some sort of association. And then the types of terms that these orders say, so it would forbid somebody from using or threatening violence against you, intimidating, harassing or pestering you, perhaps come within 100 metres of your street or your place of work. Um, and thinking outside the box, you know, with the moving situation, this this law was from 1996 that gave rise to non-molestation orders. Now, in 1996, the internet was, you know, was no way near what it is now. Um, we didn't have, you know, all and sundry on Facebook, Instagram, etc. So we've got to move with the time. So the other um, clauses that we ask for now in your non-molestation order are like, don't post things on Facebook, you know, don't abuse people via Facebook. Um, and this so-called revenge porn, don't put naked images or images of people up, you know, it, it's not appropriate. Um, and the other, you know, you can think of, of any clause, as long as it's proportionate, it can go in the order. There's not a prescribed list. So I've had a couple of cases where, the perpetrator has tried to release a, a song over YouTube and it's been really abusive, you know, a revenge song. Um, and you can get the order to say, well, that song can't be released and needs to be taken down off YouTube, you know, if it's proportionate to do so. Now, like I said, these orders generally last about a year. They have an automatic power of arrest attached. So if they are breached, the police will arrest and it's punishable by up to five years in prison. So it's a very, very good deterrent. And the other good thing about it is if victims are feeling 
you know, is this too harsh a step to take, is actually the non-molestation order is a family order. And if it's not breached, it remains a family order. And my understanding is it doesn't show up on DBS checks. So it wouldn't um, ruin anybody's chance of employment or affect their life. If it's breached, then it becomes criminal. And then the, the second type of order is your occupation order. Um, so the non-molestation order, like I said, is a protection order. Please stay away from the house. Please stay away from me. Relationships over. Go away. Your occupation order is perhaps when you've got a house together and you're both living in the same house and you need to decide who's got to leave and who can stay. Um, or you live in a house, but the other party's got a right to that property. So you need a right of occupation. You need to say, I live in this property peacefully to your exclusion and you're not allowed to come within 100 metres of this property. Um, and those orders, again, they last about a year and you you ask for a separate power of arrest um, to those orders. And like I said, they can be very, very effective where the, the couple have both got the same rights to the property, but it's too risky for them to live together. And the court need to decide who, who should be removed and who should stay. And then the third order, which is a little quite secretive actually in the law law world you don't hear about it all that often and when I do discuss it people are like gosh I've never heard of that even housing officers never heard of it and it's the transfer of tenancy um and it it states you know really simply if you've got a certain type of tenancy which is a social housing tenancy a secured or assured tenancy or a protected tenancy then the court do have the power to transfer it from one person to another or from joint names into one person's name. And that can just be life-changing to know that you're safe and secure in your house and that perpetrator, that respondent, has never got the right to come back to your property. It's now yours and you're safe there. So it can be life-changing. And then on the other hand of it, of course, I've always got my safety head on throughout thinking about what orders are right for each client. And if this respondent is particularly aggressive and violent um, and unpredictable, then perhaps it's not a good idea to get a transfer of tenancy because we don't want to place somebody at further risk of harm. And then we need to consider other avenues like secure housing or refuge. So it's definitely each client on their own case is dealt with really specifically with tailor-made advice to them. So how can, how can individuals apply for these orders? Do you help them? Yes. So we take lots of referrals in from Refuge, from Women's Aid, um, from SIDAS to name, to name but a few. Absolutely brilliant domestic abuse referrers um, in the Manchester area. They're absolutely on it. They work tirelessly. You know, I've had emails, responses to emails at 10pm at night, at 3pm on a Sunday. Do you know what I mean? Everyone is seeing that there is a national pandemic with COVID going on, but there is also a national pandemic with domestic abuse going on. Like I said, this has increased um, during this pandemic and it is scary. Um, so we take on referrals. The clients, um, we telephone them because obviously we're not permitted to go and meet them um, at the mm. present time. So we telephone them. We take their full instructions, we draft a statement, we draft the order, we draft the application um, and we email it into court. And then the court lists a hearing literally that day. So we get a hearing that day and we get a yes or no that day. 
Um, then we get the order emailed to us. I pass it to our process server, who then goes to serve um, the respondent with the order. So the main way we do this is we do it in secret. So we do it in secret, and there are two reasons in law for that. And one reason is if we tipped off the respondent, they would put the client or a relevant child at risk. Or if we tipped off the respondent, they would do all they can to persuade the applicant not to make the application. And that can range from declaring their love, threatening to harm or threatening harm to themselves, like threatening suicide. You know, we, we do get a, a lot of a lot of that. You know, all these manipulating and coercive and controlling tactics rear their ugly heads again. So my preference is to apply for these orders in secret because I know my clients can be put at risk or might be persuaded not to make the application. So I go to court or telephone the court completely in secret. We get the order and the first the respondent knows is when they are served. And then they do have a right to reply about two weeks later because obviously that is a human right. This, this is vital information that people will listen to this over and over again just to make sure they know exactly what what to do and what what to expect so let's go on to the, the legal aid aspect and how they pay for these orders um because i know a couple of years ago there was a, a, re, a vast reduction in support and and legal aid out there how is it these days well there's still a vast reduction yes um it <laughs> It's still definitely reduced, reduced and reduced. But the good, good news is if you're the victim of domestic abuse, you can still get legal aid. You know, that is the one generous aspect of legal aid for victims of domestic abuse. So if you are on, if you have any element of universal credit or income support or job seekers allowance, that is a passported benefit. And as long as you meet the merits test, which is you've got 50% or above chance of success in your case, which obviously I will help you with, then you're going to get legal aid. Um, if you own a house, you're allowed up to £100,000 equity in that property and still get legal aid. And you are allowed up to £3,000 worth of savings and you can still get legal aid. So for those people that have got over £3,000 in savings, well, they're the people that might want to think of, of doing it DIY um, because it is a free application, like I said, and there is help out there with support through court and, and other agencies. Um, and for those people that are working, it's quite a complicated sum. So we've got to do we've got to do the sums. We can find the sum on the legal aid eligibility calculator, and you can try and work out if you're eligible for legal aid or not. Now, if you're not sure if you're eligible for legal aid or not, give us a ring. That's free, obviously, to assess you for legal aid. You shouldn't be paying for a hundred pound for a first appointment for an illegal aid assessment. Of course not. That's something that we're absolutely happy to do free over the phone and give you the advice that you need. So if you're working you might qualify for legal aid for free. You might be surprised because even if you earn sort of £1,400 a month, if your rent's 600 and then you've got three children, well, we can take off the 600 and the £290 per child. And all of a sudden, your disposable income is very low. So you do qualify for legal aid. So it's actually mm. surprising people with good jobs on good wages can qualify for these orders. Other people that are on, on a higher income 
we still do that sum and you might qualify for legal aid but you'd have a contribution to make and it depends how much you earn against how much we can take off so your contribution might be 10 pounds a month but for some people your contribution is 200 pounds a month and then you've got to make the decision whether you can afford that or not um, I mean, with non-molestation orders, I can say with a degree of certainty that they usually, 90% of which are over and done within one month. So we can say, you know, you'll, you will probably have only one month to pay. So if it's £200, you might think £200 actually is fair enough for this order. It'll protect me for a year and make me feel super safe. Um, but it's, it's each individual's got to make that decision. Looking at COVID, how do you think it's changed things, Beth? During the pandemic, the courts are open, but we were not open for us to keep going to. It wasn't open as it was previously. They obviously didn't want everybody traipsing through all the time because of the infection rates. And then, of course, we weren't allowed to go and see our clients. So it all quickly turned around to be on the phone. Now, some clients love that because there's a level of... Um, you know, I'm not seeing them. They feel that they can open up a bit more um, because they're not sitting me face to face. There's not that level of embarrassment telling me things. Um, whereas some clients don't like it, and it's much more difficult to to get information from them because it is a bit is a bit strange um, on the telephone. So I telephone them, I type out the statement, I send it to them, and then of course a lot of people don't have computers. They do, certainly don't have printers. If they've got printers, they've not got ink. You know, it's all been used up for homeschooling. So, you know, what do you do? How do you get the evidence? Well, you had to think outside the box, you know, use things like DocuSign, but also just use basic WhatsApp. Please sign your statement, take a picture of it, send it to me. You know, we've got to think outside the box because we've got to keep these things going and we've got to help people that might not have the ways and means to do so. The libraries aren't even open to go uh, print things off. So we were, we were thinking of different ways of how they can get their signed documents to us um, and people doing all different ways, you know, send them via WhatsApp, email, um, et cetera, et cetera, DocuSign. So we get all the signed information. And then I was emailing it to the court and it was going before the judge. And then the judge either rings me or we go on a BT meet, uh, meet, meet me conference call or we go on Microsoft Teams um, video link. And then the judge, similar to in person, he says yes or no to the order and we pass it to the process server. Now, the clients have really, really loved that because there's no waiting around in court. They've not got that absolute stress and anxiety of having to physically find and go to the court building. You know, having to go in, if you're the victim of domestic abuse and your abuser lives in the Manchester area, even getting on transport and being in Piccadilly and having to get to court can be very, very nerve wracking. That's basically the glass half full from from this COVID situation, taking away the positive from it is is the fact of um, reducing the anxiety, um, doing things from home and doing things remotely. You know, like you say, the chance of getting on and off a bus or whatever in Piccadilly or what whatever they need to do to get to the courts, you know, that, that they might be seen um, uh, is is just it just adds to the pressure. So this would be great if they could keep it. And I think they probably will do, actually, especially if they're getting through things a lot quicker. It would really, really help victims come forward if they knew that they didn't have to engage in a lengthy court process. They could just instruct somebody to deal with it because 
as a victim of domestic abuse, it's not your main priority is not just getting this order in place. There's lots of other things going on. You might have social service involvement. You might be having to move house. You might be living in refuge. You might be um, waiting for counselling and therapeutic intervention. You might have injuries, you know, that you're still dealing with. You know, this order is a, a major part of it, but it's not everything. And I think understanding the victims, you know, obviously as people with lots and lots and lots of issues going on, if we can make this easier for them, I'm absolutely for that. We should be we should be helping them. This is a huge, huge issue and we definitely should be helping people. What what can you see changing in the future? You've kind of partly answered that, but um, you know, is there anything else you want to add of of what you can see changing in the future? So the DAPO, domestic abuse protection order is going to be an order that the police can apply for and solicitors can apply for. So at the minute, like I said, we have restraining orders, we have non-molestation orders, and people just refer to them all as injunctions, or people refer to a non-molestation order as a restraining order, which is it's just absolutely not right. A restraining order has nothing to do with a family practitioner. Like I said, it's absolutely criminal. Um, so I think it's to get rid of some of that force and some of that confusion and have this one order that, that goes between both courts um, looks quite good. Um, there's other really positive things with the domestic abuse bill. I know there could be more there could be more done. I know that this calls for non-fatal strangulation um, to be part of it. Um, I have lots and lots of cases where choking and strangulation is an issue. Getting somebody up by their neck is very, very common. And it's not, it, it is strangulation, but it's not strangulation because, you know, I've had a judge point that out to me because, you know, they're alive. It's non-fatal strangulation. Have that as a, as a recognised crime, um, you know, within itself. But to end on a, like I said, to end on a high, over the 13 years that I've practised, um, I have seen, I've seen positive, positive changes. I've seen domestic abuse be taken from the dark more into the light you know the our caseload of has increased more than i would say domestic abuse has been reported and that's because people are coming forward more instead of drinking back into the shadows you know it is being brought more into the light there, there is definitely help out there i think the pandemic hopefully one of the positive things from the pandemic is to shine a spotlight on it I've even noticed the government and Boris Johnson's language is different towards domestic abuse than it was at the start. At the start, it was very much stay home, stay safe, da 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 da. Now it's stay home, stay safe. But if you're the victim of domestic abuse, please don't. Please go somewhere else and, you know, find a place of safety, which is brilliant that the government are on board that, you know, this is something really important. And I really hope that they will do more now they've seen the increase. Um, over this pandemic and and how families how families have suffered but like I said there's definitely positives on the horizon we've got the domestic abuse bill we've got some good laws in place you know we're catching up with the Facebook slander and all this type of thing the police um you know the police are getting um you know adequate training the police are getting good training and it's not just a domestic anymore you know some police officers are really passionate we've got the domestic violence unit of the police that are really highly trained in domestic abuse. Um, and I want to remain positive that there are positive changes um, and these people will get the help that they need. Um, certainly we are much further on than we were 20 years ago. Thank you.